The Islet from Beta Bionics is an automated insulin pump that requires only one setting, your weight. Instead of entering carbs, you just enter whether a meal is small, normal, or large. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, that's why I had today's guest on the show to talk all about his experience using it and how well it worked. Hey, I'm Justin. I have type 1 diabetes and welcome to Diabetech. On here, I talk all things diabetes tech, news, and management with diabetes educators, tech leaders, and those thriving with diabetes. Today, I've got Mike Natter coming on the show to talk all about his experience using the ILET. Mike has type 1 diabetes and is an endocrinologist at NYU Langone. He's also an incredibly talented artist. He fuses his background in fine art with his medical training to treat and educate his patients. If you don't already follow him on Instagram, you've got to go check out his artwork on there. I've thrown a link to his page in today's show notes. Mike's got a lot to say about the eyelet pump and how it went for him using it for two months. He's tried all of the FDA approved pumps in the US, so he's super knowledgeable about how each of them work and how they differ. Keep in mind that anything you hear on this podcast or any of my content on social media and YouTube is not medical advice. Always consult with your physician before making changes to your healthcare. Today's episode is sponsored by Omnipod, but in no way does that affect the questions I ask or the opinions that I have. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm very excited to talk about your experience with this pump. Justin, thank you for having me. It's quite an honor. Yeah, I was putting together the questions for this, and I had a bunch, and then I just kept having more and more questions, so I don't know how long this is going to take. I hope you have enough time. Um, we'll have a two-parter. Right, exactly. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I, w- I mean, I would love to have you on the show again. So before we get into the ILET, please just tell my audience a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So uh, I'm Mike Natter, born and raised in New York City. Uh, I've had type 1 diabetes since the age of nine. And uh, my background is actually in art, but then that took me into a weird roundabout way into medicine. So I'm currently an endocrinologist here in New York City uh, and practicing endocrinology over the last couple of years. How do you fall into endocrinology? It's a good question. Um, so I, like I said, my, my diagnosis definitely opened that world to me. But admittedly, my, my strengths and my talents were more in the humanities. So I, I went to art school. I was always interested in medicine. I just didn't think that I had the right skill set to do so. Uh, but I went for it, and I actually found that my background in art was actually really beneficial and helpful in terms of learning, teaching, and connecting with my patients. Yeah, and I've seen some of your art on Instagram. I mean, that's most of your feed is your art. Can you tell us a little bit about how your art is connected to diabetes and your endocrinology stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I was drawing my whole life, but when I went to medical school, I realized that I was drawing to help myself learn medicine. Medicine's so complicated. There's so much volume of information. And if you are able to translate that information into your own language, and in my case, a visual language, you get better understand it. And so I started, you really, for, for selfish reasons, I was drawing to uh, learn medicine. And that didactic element of art medicine kind of carried into teaching my medical students, teaching my patients. I will literally, on a regular basis, draw my pa- draw with my patients and show them how their thyroid is working, how their diabetes functions, um, just as a, ba- as a better way of explaining. And in doing so, it, I think it actually it gets rid of a lot of barriers. It doesn't matter your educational background, your cultural background, your, your language background. Imagery is universal. So by drawing, I really think it helps connect. Uh, but I also like to kind of poke fun at the 
ridiculousness that's expected of us as in, when I was in residency or fellowship, um, these 28 hour shifts and all that stuff. So I would kind of make these comics to poke fun and kind of talk about a bigger topic that's going on in medicine. Yeah, that's awesome. So you've been wearing the Beta Bionics eyelet pump. How long did you wear it or have you been wearing it? Yeah, so um, I've been wearing some flavor of pump probably for the last 15 years. I've tried every single pump that there is. I really do like to try things before prescribing them to my patients. Um, I was interested in trying the pump and the eyelet pump when it first came out. And then when I went to the ADA conference that uh, you were at as well uh, in June, I had the uh, opportunity to meet with the eyelet folks and set up uh, a time to really get trained and started. So I started on the eyelet pump at the very end of June, early July. And I wore it for about two and a half months, maybe two, maybe like nine weeks or so. Um, and, you know, I could tell you my experience, you know, in general, um, I think we should start from the basics and what the eyelet is. I know that you have some great videos talking about all this. The real crux of what's so unique or novel about this pump is it gets rid of all of the insulin sensitivity factors, the basal rates, the carb ratios, the carb counting, it's gone it really gets down to the most simple form of what you need a pump to do, and that is to give you as much insulin as you need at the right time without you having to think about it. And in that way, it succeeds greatly. You're able to uh, kind of take some of that cognitive load of diabetes that's so heavy at times and take that off of your shoulders. Um, but what it does do for folks like myself and for other folks like you, and I think a lot of the diabetic community, a lot of type ones are used to turning knobs and they're used to kind of making small adjustments or kind of, um, having at least some opportunity to kind of MacGyver their, their rates and their, and, and, and kind of going about those things based on their day, their carbs, their activity. And it, it doesn't have that ability. In fact, it's almost impossible to really finagle with the pump in terms of the eyelet pump. So for certain populations of people, I think that the pump and, and you know, Ed Demanio, I think his name is the, the, the creator of the pump, will we'll say, say this himself. You know, there's a population that it's not meant for. And it's the people that really need to have that fine-tuning ability that won't, won't really enjoy it, I think. But everyone else that struggles to remember to bolus for their meals, that has a hard time getting their time in range in the right place or having their A1Cs coming down, um, I, I actually think this would be quite revolutionary for them. And it also opens it up for other practitioners other than endocrinologists to potentially feel comfortable prescribing pumps. Wow, yeah, that's totally true. With that, like... You know, there's one setting the you put in your weight. How skeptical were you of that? <laughs> Especially uh, as an endocrinologist, right? Like someone who has spent so much time with educators, like kind of being like, this is your basal. This is your, you know, insulin to carb ratio, things like that. Like this is weight. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, so the weight actually falls to the wayside pretty quickly because the weight is just a place for it to start. And then very quickly, it's utilizing all of the data it's gathering from your CGM and from all the insulin you know, so, um, you know, uh, tools that it's been using to uh, kind of in real time change your needs and, and we'll give you that. So uh, it, it wasn't scary in that sense. What was scarier to me, or I guess what I was most skeptical about was I thought that if you're not going to announce the amount of carbohydrates for a meal, then how, I don't care how aggressive an algorithm is, there's going to be a lag. And so you're going to be chasing highs constantly. So in my mind, I thought all this postprandial after meal spikes were going to be 
horrible, and I was really interested to see how they did. Now, when I was at the ADA, I went to a lecture, and I saw the uh, pivotal data, uh, their trials that they did with a very large sample size over a long period of time, and I was actually rather swayed by their data and saw that people who were coming off, let's say, a tandem were staying in range about the same time. People who were out of range most of the time were coming back into range more of the time. So the data, you know, the data doesn't lie. And so I, I said, okay, at least there's some objective basis for this. Let me give this a go. And I was, I was impressed for the most part, but there's some, some caveats that we can dig into. Yeah. Before we get into how the pump works on like a treatment level, what do you like about the build of the device? I think what I love most about the device was like the simplicity of the screen. And I get into that in some of my videos on YouTube. What did you love most about like the physicality of the device? I found the device itself to be, it, it's, it's quite literally and figuratively a little black box. You, you don't really know what's going on inside of it and there's not much you can do with it. I actually love the idea of simplicity and I really think that that's what they were after is really cutting down on the need to even look at the pump. I like that. That being said, I didn't love the design for the times I was looking at it. I felt like the user interface was a little bit like old school, like a little MS-DOS. I, you know, as compared to, let's say, like a touchscreen of, of a tandem, not as engaging. And, and part of me wonders if that was kind of done purposefully. You know, they don't want you to be mucking around with it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, there's no color. Um, the touchscreen I didn't find as uh, sensitive as I, I did on, let's say, other, other touchscreens. Like not, it's not like the iPhone, it's not like the, the Tandem. But overall, it, you know, I think it's good and it's very basic and very simple. And for that reason alone, I think it's actually pretty beneficial. What was the setup process like? Getting it connected to a CGM, getting it set up for yourself. What was that like? Yeah, it's, it's very straightforward. In fact, I'd say it's more straightforward than the other pump systems because there's so little information you have to put in. Um, the one thing that you have to do technologically is you want to sync it to their cloud portal system so that you yourself can gather all that data and look at it on a desktop, on your phone, but also so that the provider can also have a way of seeing all of your data. Um, and, and to that point, you know, there's so many knobs and things you can do and twist and, and adjust in all these other pump settings. This one you can't. And so it also streamlines the analytics where all you can really look at and to see if there's something you can change is if you're announcing the correct amount of normals for you. By that meaning, meaning if you're saying that uh, less than 50% of the time what you're eating is normal, then you're not saying it's normal enough because clearly it's, you know, you'd be more of the time if it's normal just by, you know, default. Um, so I'd say, I'd say that the setup was actually very simple. Um, the, the mechanics of the pump are, are almost identical to that of any other pump that you might be uh, familiar with. I do really like their, um, they don't use a cartridge, they use an actual kind of, I guess it's considered a cartridge, but it's a, it looks like a small vial. And they partnered with Fiasp, so they're going to have preloaded uh, vials that just streamlines the process of changing out the pump, reloading it. it it's actually quite, um, quite easy. Yeah, uh, they're the same vials as the ones used with the in-pen, I believe. Uh, I really loved those. Um, is there any, like, I know there's um, AccuCheck or Siggy. Actually, it's Siggy. I don't know. There's a tubeless pump that's coming out. It could be the AccuCheck uh, that was just given clearance that also uses these cartridges. And what, what you could do with those is that once the, like, you could actually move those cartridges from one pump to another they're disposable. Can you save that insulin in, in a cartridge? Can you reuse that cartridge in another like site change? 
Yeah, so so as it stands right now, the the uh, I have not used the preloaded Fiasp one, so I was I would have a Fiasp vial. I would use the syringe. I would load the the cartridge up. Um, it's not recommended and it's not FDA approved to kind of use them multiple times. That being said, okay. in theory, you know, it, it could be done. Um, and if you're in a pinch and you're totally out of supplies and you're in the woods and you needed to to kind of re reuse some of those supplies, in, in theory, you could. It would functionally work. Okay. Now I want to get into kind of something you were just talking about, which is like the whole like normal like meals and like the way you control this pump or at least tell it announce boluses or announce food rather is by saying like normal less than more than um my life doesn't work like that though like i can't imagine anyone's life works in i eat three different types of meals like no i eat like a massive ice cream sundae sometimes or i have like an apple tart like i don't know the difference between either of those plus that i don't consider that i'm a larger meal necessarily like it's it's hard for me to put all of what i eat into like three categories can you explain to us what that looks like and then how you kind of tackle that absolutely first i want to validate what you just said because i i share that i had the same kind of hurdles and the the kind of like mental semantics of what that means um, and so just to simplify it, uh, and, and the way it was kind of explained to me by the trainer and the way that I understood it uh, and, and was using it, using it was there's three sections. There's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then there's a drop down for each of them. And so let's say you hit breakfast and then it's going to be normal amount, more than the normal amount, less than the normal amount. If you're eating a snack in between those meals, it's recommended that then you go ahead and then say breakfast less than for a snack in between uh, breakfast and lunch. Now, the idea is that you're not talking about the actual volume of the meal, uh, in my understanding. It's really like carbohydrate load. So if, if you're eating a large amount of carbohydrates than you normally do, the regular amount or normal amount of carbohydrates that you do around that time, um, and conversely, a, a smaller amount. Now, I, this also gets to that point of part of the reason I, I, you know, some people will work well for, some people it won't. I think that if you're someone that is relatively regimented and you have a pretty scheduled life, you eat around the same time each day. Your activity is about the same time each day and so on. It does, I mean, this is true for all of diabetes. It makes it easier because you're, you're eliminating variables. But because of this pump's algorithm, it is very quickly able to say, okay, you're calling this breakfast normal amount. I'm, the pump's going to give you some amount of insulin. Because every five minutes, it's going to give you a correction as needed. If it incorrectly under bolus you and sees that you're trending up, it'll aggressively try to get you back down. So even if it was a little off, no big deal, but it remembers that. So the following day, when you say breakfast, normal amount, it's going to say, oh, we gave you five units yesterday and we messed up. Let's try six. So it makes those adjustments for you. But it's important in the first kind of three to four days of using that pump system that you try really hard to eat, you know, very systematically of what you would normally eat to train it, to encode what that means so it can make the right adjustments for you. Wow. I mean, it's funny because I know it's simplifying things, but it almost, it's almost complicating things to me a little bit. It's, but, I, but I'm sure over time it gets, you get used to it. But I mean, I feel like there should be instead of just breakfast, lunch and dinner, I feel like there should be a snack option because snacks can be completely different. You can have a snack of grapes and then you can have a snack that's popcorn. Uh, popcorn not only can have a fair amount of carbs depending on how much you eat, but it also popcorn hits your blood sugar pretty quickly. 
so I guess I don't know how I would navigate popcorn versus grapes versus Doritos versus, um, I don't know, pizza even as a snack. I, I just feel like I eat so many different types of snacks, you know? Totally. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think getting into the semantics of it is interesting, but because of the algorithm and the aggressiveness of it, it kind of is like, okay, no big deal if there is an under bolus. So for example, you're really thinking about it, not in terms of like meal or snack, you're thinking in terms of like, is this a large amount of carbs? Is this a normal amount of carbs for me? Is this an amount of carbs I don't normally eat? Um, and if it's a large amount of carbs and it's a snack, you would say, you know, you basically give yourself a second lunch, normal or larger than. So it, okay. you could think of it, you can, you can kind of almost think of it in terms of like, do I want a lot of insulin, a little bit of insulin, or a medium amount of insulin is kind of another way of rephrasing it for what you're about to eat instead of calling it like smaller than or whatever, lunch or whatever. They, okay. are, they are considering adding a, a snack option, I believe, in the next generation. Okay. And how long do you think it took you or the system to get this down for you, where you, where you felt comfortable, like it was doing a good job? Yeah, so I'd say within the first week, I noticed that. So the first couple of days were a little bit rocky, and it was expect. I was told to expect a little bit of postprandial spiking, um, but then I'd say within the first like four to seven days, things really leveled out for me. Um, my my time and range was was pretty consistent with what I had prior to that, in like the high seventies, eighties, whatever that might be. And then I I noticed there would be some days when I would coast in the ninety percent time and range. I was really impressed. Where where I think it fell short for me was that that was happening when I was very regimented. I was at work and I was kind of eating around the same time, around the same foods. I went on vacation and that threw it for a big loop. And any kind of spontaneity in terms of like a real change in my schedule, a real change in my diet, a real change in my activity, it was having a very difficult time kind of relearning and catching up to that. Um, and I was doing kind of different things each day. So it wasn't really fair for me to expect it to catch up because I was, I was throwing so much, you know, variation at it. That being said, like, you know, I could argue that, you know, being on, let's say the tandem, I may have had uh, plenty of excursions given, you know, a sugary cocktail or grazing all day. Absolutely. But with the tandem or any other pump system or MDI or multiple daily injections, it does give you those knobs that you can turn. It does say like you, you can, at least can feel some level of you can intercede. Whereas with the, the eyelet, you, you really are sitting on your hands. Like there's not much you can do other than say you're about to announce a meal and then just trust the pump to go from there. So there are no um, adjustments to even target range. Like is there an activity mode or even like a stagnant mode where you need more basal essentially? It's, it's a good question. So, so there's two questions there. One is the answer is yes, one the answer is no. So in terms of is there a target, they don't like to say that the target is 120 or 130 or 110, but they have a normal target, a higher target, lower target. And it, it amounts to if you had to estimate 110, 120, 130. So that gives it a little bit more room to be more aggressive. Because remember, you're not putting in insulin sensitivity factor. You're not putting in insulin to carb. You're not doing any of that. Um, is there an activity mode? Absolutely not. And it's recommended if you're going to go for a really big bout of cardio, you actually detach. So that's another kind of uh, real change to what you'd be used to as someone who's on a pump, having those little knobs that you can turn and really adjust to, to what's going on. That, again, they may be changing that in their next, in their next uh, generation, but as it stands right now, and I have to be honest with you, I actually was surprised at how well I did by, by detaching. Like I would go for a guy spin, and so like I'd go for a spin and I'd detach. What I will say, though, 
is that the alarms on the pump are very difficult to hear and they don't have an alarm. I, they need it. I would recommend they put in, if they're saying that you should detach for exercise, then I think they should put in a button that says I'm detaching so that an hour from there you can be reminded that you're detached because the way I detach is I keep the pump on my hip or in my pocket and I just detach from the sight on my belly and let the pump, the, the needle bit of the pump kind of like live in my underwear band and I would forget to reattach because I'm not used to that. So, you know, there's there's little kind of subtle things that like only someone living with type 1 would really recognize and find a little bit of an annoyance with. Yeah, it's so funny that there's no just like suspend for one hour. You know, I don't think that's really giving people too many choices. It's essentially doing the same thing, um, just making sure you get back on. How early do you detach before your workout? Because I know you're supposed to, like I personally, I, I, with my DIY loop system, I put up, I have a higher target range and a lower basal adjustment. And I set that, I try to set it an hour or 40 minutes before my workout. What, what did you do with this pump? Yeah, so that's a good question, and and everyone's a little bit different depending on you know when they exercise, how they exercise, how long they exercise. All that stuff factors into it. If it's hit versus cardio versus all that stuff, I I like to go into exercise with as little insulin on board as possible. So I prefer to exercise in the morning before I eat anything, so I didn't bolus. That way, it gives me a little bit of leeway, and so that way I don't necessarily have to set a temp basal or in this case detach too far in advance because I'll have so little insulin on board. If there is insulin on board, I'll try to detach similar to you. I'll try to have, uh, I'll, I'll basically take off my pump anywhere between 30 to 40 minutes ahead of time. If there's really no insulin on board, I'll take it off right at the start and I'll keep an eye on my sugars throughout the class. And in some cases, depending on you know the cortisol spikes and everything else, I may have to reattach sooner than I would have anticipated as I saw there might be a rise coming. So everything's a little bit, a little different, but you, you do have to be actively kind of attaching and reattaching and detaching uh, with the islet. Yeah, that's an interesting point you made about working out in the morning before you eat, because ultimately that is the that is the issue with um, working out with pumps, right? It's the insulin on board from prior meals that could be activated sooner because of your insulin sensitivity goes up, meaning insulin is going to be more effective faster in your body. So I also keep an eye on that too, right? So if like I ate a while ago and there really isn't much insulin on board, then I'm not as worried if I forgot to put up that higher target range. Whereas if I have like three units on board and I'm like, oh my God, I was going to work out in 30 minutes and I didn't set a higher target range. Like I, I take that into account. I put it on immediately and then I bring a bunch of low snacks. Typically I'm fine, but that's that's what you got to watch for. So that that was a great that was a great tip. Keeping an eye on insulin on board or just working out before you eat. A quick word from today's sponsor, Omnipod. When I was first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, one of my biggest fears was wearing an insulin pump and what that would look like. My fears were totally diminished once I started wearing Omnipod. Omnipod is a tubeless insulin pump that could be worn almost anywhere you'd give yourself an injection. What I love most is that I forget I'm wearing it. I never have to worry about disconnecting it for showers or swimming, and when I play kickball or go running, it's super secure. Even better, with Omnipod 5, you get automated insulin delivery by connecting it to a CGM. Omnipod 5 uses CGM trend and value to predict your glucose 60 minutes into the future. 
and makes adjustments to your insulin delivery. If you want to try out Omnipod 5 yourself, you may be eligible for a trial. To check your eligibility and for full safety information and instructions for use, visit omnipod.com diabetic or click the link in today's show notes. All right, back to the show. Correct me if I'm wrong. This pump, the Islet, is approved for Novolog, Humalog, and Fiosp, and it's currently working with all those? That's my understanding. But the only uh, partnership they have with preloaded uh, vials, I believe, is with the Fiosp. Got you. Otherwise, they send you like cartridges that you have to fill up with the other two? Correct. Okay, which isn't a huge hassle, if, if that's what It's people... more or less the same. I'd say it's equivalent yeah. to what you're doing for other pumps. Um, you know, you pull up the syringe, you pull up the vial, and you just kind of load it in. So it's not that big of a difference. Now, my, my experience moving from Humalog to Fiosp was Fiosp is a faster activing, activating insulin. Uh, it will hit stronger sooner. Why wouldn't someone want to use Fiosp in, like, over Humalog? Why do people prefer to use a slower-acting insulin? Yeah, it's a good question. So unfortunately, the main issue that I see, which is very unfortunate, with is an issue with our country as a whole, is insurance. A lot of times, it's very difficult to get uh, Fiosp through. Um, you know, we'll fight. Uh, the endocrinologist, you know, and your team will will write prior authorization letters and, and so on and so forth. And we usually are able to be successful. But sometimes I also find there's what I what I term diabetes inertia, and I think that there's something to be said about. Um, Diabetes takes up such a, a huge amount of cognitive space in your brain that once you get to a system that you are used to, you're very reluctant to change. I'm not saying you, but I think a lot of, I'd say you as like a, a generalization. I'm one of those people. I was very reluctant to change because I finally got to a point where there was like a muscle memory to my diabetes. So I was, a, you know, as a teenager and the pumps were coming about and I, I didn't want to change to a pump. I had no aversion to wearing anything. It's just that I already knew how to, in my sleep, dial up my insulin and, you know, take care of it. So why would I change? So I think there's a little bit of that. So the idea of change, the insurance uh, issue, and then some people do notice a slight burning sensation to Fiasp and Luemjev. Uh, Luemjev more than Fiasp, I found anecdotally. So that's also kind of one of the other caveats to that. And I will say that while a lot of people do see a difference in terms of uh, the quick activation time, some people don't. Some people don't really notice a difference. If someone's very insulin sensitive, then Humalog or Novolog will probably have the similar effect on their sugars. Um, I, I find that people that have a difficult time with pre-bolusing, which is, if we're being honest, all of us, um, I think Fiasp is a nice little hack because if it is going to kick in five or ten minutes earlier, then that's great. That's five or ten minutes less you have to wait to eat. Yeah, I remember when the news came out that like, you know, all the top manufacturers are going to be lowering their prices of insulin. Like, wow, like, look at them, like, out of nowhere doing this, which was a whole issue on its own. They were only discounting, like, the slower insulins, though. Mm -hmm. Nowhere to be found was Fiosp or Leumjev being lower. Those are still, however much, 250 a vial, whereas mm -hmm. Humalog, Novolog, and, and other generics were lowered. Walmart has come out with all these cheap insulins. Great PR, but when it comes down to what they're discounting, it's the lesser than in many cases. Um, so, you know, it was just a lot of PR, um, and I'm sure it looked pretty good. And, and not good, actually, in, in many ways. Uh, let's move on to CGMs. Now, uh, when we got together and, um, and met, you were telling me all about how, yeah, this works with the G6. But tell me about that experience when you looked at the device, kind of what it showed you when it came to connecting possible CGMs, plural, 
So right now, as it stands, all of the pump companies, all four of the big com com pump companies, um, actually three of the of the four are using Dexcom G6. That's the only ones that will communicate. They are all, the ones that are on Dexcom are working toward getting on the G7, and I think that's gonna be happening in the very near future. If I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Medtronic has a pilot study now with certain patients that's trying to push that through. Uh, the Medtronic, as you know, is has its own um, Guardian sensor, so that's a separate, separate device. Now, in terms of the eyelet, and this is another hiccup that I think is something as an endocrinologist, but also as a patient, made me a little bit wary of, of what was going on. Uh, the whole system is predicated on having CGM data at all times. So in that two-hour window when you're warming up, you're kind of in the dark, but that's true of everything. But then at the end, let's say, which happens to all of us, we sweat off our Dexcom. It comes off. We... Uh, something happens, it malfunctions, you can't get your supply sooner because the insurance is so tight on only giving you nine sensors for the three month. We all know we can call Dexcom, we can get them uh, you know, taken over or whatever, but what if you're in the woods? What if you can't get that soon enough? You don't have any backups, you, you know, everything goes, goes to hell. Then what happens? Well, then you're really in a bind because after 72 hours without any CGM data, the eyelet pump, because of FDA regulations, totally shuts off. There's no basal, there's no insulin, there's no nothing. And so after three days, you know, that to me is, it, that's a huge risk for diabetic ketoacidosis. That's a huge risk for if, if all hell broke loose and you really just can't get that Dexcom, what are you going to do? Before that period, you can finger stick and you can input a finger stick data every, however often you want. And that will actually, and they tested this in their pivotal trial, that will app, uh, still keep you uh, more or less at you know goal, um, or at least better than goal though, from what you were doing prior to starting the islet. You're after 72 hours, three days, like that's it, like you're done. And if you don't have another mode of insulin delivery, then you're really in a bind. Okay, so you're saying if you have this pump and your Dexcom G6 falls off, you now have a brick that doesn't give you insulin. No, in three days. So it could still give you insulin for three days. So seventy-two and hours. And what is it doing? What is it? Sorry, what is it doing for those three days? It's giving you some like low dose variation of what your last basal were basal rates were based on the last however many hours of their data. But no, no manual bolusing. No, I believe you can still manual bolus. I think you. Yeah, I believe you can still bolus. The issue is you have to finger stick to put in the the data in order to. I, I'm not okay. sure if you have to put in the to get the bolus. But the, 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 the point that like, gets me very uncomfortable is that after that 72-hour period, the, the theory is that you'd have gotten some you know, overnight replacement of a Dexcom or whatever it may be, or a sample from the doctor's office. But if you don't, in 72 hours, the pump will not give you any more insulin. Done. Yeah. I mean, not that everyone does, but I mean, you really shouldn't be traveling to the woods without three extra decks, you know, depending on how long you're there without three extra CGMs, right? Like I don't go anywhere without three times the amount of supplies I need. So in most cases, if you are some, if you're doing the correct thing, which is packing correctly for diabetes. And if you want to learn more about that, I've got videos on my YouTube channel. Um, then you should be fine for those three days. Um, but still it is an inconvenience. Can you compare that experience to say tandem? What happens if your Dexcom falls off, you're using the tandem pump? Uh, does it cut you off? What, what happens there? 
Yeah, so Tandem, uh, because you're setting your basal rates with Tandem and you have an instant-to-carb ratio and so on, Tandem will kick you out of what's called Control IQ mode. So Control IQ mode is their hybrid closed-loop system that utilizes that CGM data to give you, you know, the variations of their microboluses and so on. So it kicks you out, puts you back into auto mode. So you're kind of back at your kind of factory set, whatever you had inputted your basals to be. So it's a lot more reasonable in the sense that without any CGM data, you're not going to be totally kicked off. Now, you're absolutely right. Like, in truth, it's 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 going to be for a very, very, very small population of people that really just kind of, for reasons that we, we can't explain, will go off into the woods, not bring backups, not bring backup insulin or backup CGMs and so on. So it's rare. Um, but it's, it's one of those little points that does differentiate it. And I did wish that there was some way around that. And maybe the next generation will. I think there was an FDA issue there. But you're right. So with a Tandem or with an Omnipod or, or Medtronic, um, you will have your kind of set basal rates that would be in the auto mode, excuse me, in the manual mode. Okay. And what happens with the eyelet during that two-hour warm-up for the G6? It's, it's utilizing the data from before. So it's still giving you insulin. You're still getting everything, uh, but you're just in the dark as you are with all the other pumps when you don't have your CGM data. So you, you're getting your insulin, but you're not necessarily getting your you know correction boluses and so on. Yeah, you know, something I love about my DIY loop is that during any warm-up, I can still enter in glucose meter readings and it can loop still. If I yeah. And so what I would do is I'm wearing the G7 now, so my warm-up is 30 minutes, but it also is actually zero minutes because I stack CGMs, so I never have a waiting period. But really? when I was wearing the G6, during that two-hour warm-up, I would take my – if I was sitting at my desk, I would have my meter out and I would set an, I would set an alarm – for every 15 minutes and I would put in a, um, a reading and then I would still have closed loop. And I, I don't see why there isn't any reason why systems out there now shouldn't have that ability, especially since the eyelet you said kind of has that ability when your Dexcom fails, why not during the two hour warm up also give you that? So you still have great it, it, control. It, it, okay. it may. Yeah. So that's a good point. So it very well may, I have to be honest with you. I'm not sure, but I, I presume it probably does. Um, I didn't run into that because I didn't, I, I kind of, I let it run. I wish, I wish I had the luxury of time. I, yeah. So in, in some cases, like I'm typically running from place to place and seeing patients. So I don't usually have the, the, the time to kind of, uh, you know, finger prick as often, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if I would imagine that's still probably a feasible option for you and that's smart and I would recommend doing my, exactly that, but you, yeah, I love with the stacking, I think of the of the CGMs, I think that's brilliant, and that could only work with um, the G7, though, correct? Because you need the the transmitter to come out of the G6. Exactly, and I was told that. So I believe originally the G7's stacking ability was created because many people like to have their CGMs um, soak, and so there being a 12-hour grace period on every CGM after the 10 days gives you up to 12 hours to put on a new CGM, a new G7, and have it just sit there and not actually do anything. Uh, as soon as you put on a G7, it activates. There's magnets in it that turn it on instantly, and it's it, it gets to work. So I personally don't really have it soak very long. I'll kind of put on a new one, and really in those 30 minutes after those go, um, I just activated it. And I haven't really had many issues with my G7. I know a lot of people complain about accuracy, but I have no complaints with accuracy. Um, I, I've enjoyed it very much. Now with the eyelet, how often did you find that you would be making mistakes with your carb entries? 
Did you feel like that happened often or you, you kind of got it down after a few weeks? So it's interesting because um, it's a very smart algorithm. So it's hard to say if I made mistakes or if the algorithm was aggressive enough to catch it before it was really a mistake, if that makes sense. So if it's if I start out, let's say I start out at a really good like 100 before dinner and I say that I'm eating you know, less than my, my usual amount for, for whatever reason, and that was actually an underestimation. I needed more. Because the algorithm would detect that I'm going up at a certain rate and a certain amount of time after that bolus or after that meal, it might give me auto-corrections. And there is a way to look under the hood. There is, you know, you can go into the settings and see what the last bolus was, see what the insulin is on board. But you're going to have to, like, really dig for it. Uh, again, they don't, like, they want to kind of alleviate that burden on you. So, for example, I might have, um, you know, under, under bolus, but it didn't matter. Were there times when I had some postprandial spikes, meaning after, after meal spikes? Absolutely. There absolutely were. Um, but on the weeks that I was more consistent, meaning I was eating kind of around the same time, around the same amounts, I, I think I was crushing it. And I, I say I, I think the, 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 the islet was crushing it. Yeah. Now, it's not giving the user very much information or, or settings tools or even like a real under the hood deep look at what's going on. Does Beta Bionics work with any third parties to allow information to be taken in, say, Gluco or even like a Dexcom Clarity type look, but for pump uh, dosage in addition to G7 or sorry, in addition to CGM readings? And does it give that to the consumer and does it give it to educators and endocrinologists like the people who could really take this information, see what the dosing was and make changes or, or work with their patient to be like, you know, this really should have been a medium size. This is what happened here. Like how, how are educators and endos supposed to, you know, do a, an in-depth look on your settings if, if they don't have anything? Yeah, absolutely. So good question. So to answer your first question, is there a platform that kind of collects this data and shows it to you in some kind of dashboard? And yes, it's not a third party. It is the beta bionic uh, kind of version of, I guess, like a clarity basically for beta bionics. Um, it's very clean. It's very sleek. It gives you time and range. It gives you um, uh, the most important thing it gives you, or there's two really important things it gives you. One, it gives you the breakdown, the percentage of time that you called you know, things normal for you in terms of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that is going to be the most actionable piece of data for us as endocrinologists, educators, but also for patients. Because if you're calling something, let's say breakfast, um, you know, you're only going calling it normal 30% of the time, well, then you're messing up because it should be at least 50% or more if it's quote unquote normal, right? Because normal means you're doing it more than the other two. That That's a good piece of actionable data. And that's really one of the only pieces of actionable data that we get from that uh, kind of output. Now, the other thing that's really helpful is if there is some kind of catastrophic pump failure where we need to change someone over to MDI or, or multiple daily injections. And this is something that as an endocrinologist, if I get woken up overnight, this is usually what's going on. If I have an emergency overnight, it's there's an issue with the pump most, most commonly. And so the best thing for me and the best information for me is to know what's their total daily dose so that I can convert them over to a basal bolus regimen with pens or, or syringes. The, the way that they, you can do that is you can actually ascertain that data pretty easily from, from the beta bionic report. You can see what their total daily dose is. You can see what their you know, projected basals are for over the 24-hour period. 
Uh, and that way it actually very cleanly gives you uh, a really good sense of what you would need if you were going to go to, like, let's say, like a Lantus injection and, and a humilography ESP injection. How does, and you may have kind of gotten into this, but how does the eyelet pump change your job? It changes my job a lot, and in, in in what I would say is a good. Like, listen, Justin, if you could put me out of business, I'd be happy. Like I, I would love, <laughs> I would love for me to for for diabetes to be a thing of the past. Um, you know, selfishly as well. Um, but you know, I went into medicine because I want to help patients. I want patients to be healthy and happy. And and if that means that you know diabetes is no longer um, you know something that I have to take care of, then great. It what it's doing though is it's it's I think giving a lot of patients. You know, only about 20% of type 1s are able to get the goals of their A1C and their time and range. It's a very small percentage. And, you know, you ask yourself, why? What are the barriers to that? And if you look at those that are, are typically more tightly controlled, most of them are using technology and most of them are using some flavor of pump. So we know that these pumps, especially the hybrid closed loop pumps, are superior in terms of keeping us in range. So why are there patients that are not on them? So there's access to endocrinologists because oftentimes these uh, technologies are kind of regulated to um, endocrinologists because primary care doctors aren't trained on them. They're not comfortable with them. It's very intense. Um, so there's that component of it, but there's also other elements to it, right? And so then you ask yourself, well, what could alleviate that playing field? And I think this device in particular does that. It has such, there's such little that we can do as endocrinologists in terms of like really tweaking things. Um, you know, sure, you should probably try and pre-bolus a little bit here. I, you know, I could help, I could analyze your CGM data probably better than a primary care doctor can. And I could make some, some small kind of behavioral tweaks uh, and, and uh, also like, you know, announcing that it's a normal meal more of the time. But outside of that, there's not too much you can do um, in terms of the islet. That means that primary care docs are going to be much more comfortable saying, you have type 1 diabetes, I could put you on a pump, you know, and I know you'll do better on it, right? So that there's that component of it. But I also think there's something to be said about the, the patient, the population of patients that really struggles with, you know, kind of not wanting to acknowledge that they have type 1, not wanting to acknowledge that they have to bolus before a meal, or they might forget to bolus before a meal, just does not want to think about it. And if their time and range is 30, 40, 50%, then they will absolutely benefit from an eyelet pump because even with them doing very little, they're still going to have a better time and range. Okay. Um, so many questions popped into my head during all of that. And I don't think we have time, but something I want to talk to you in the future about is how we get better education to just primary care doctors and 20%, only 20% of those living with type one diabetes are able to stay don't, above 70% don't, don't roughly. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to dig in and, okay. and, and check that, but I think it's in that ballpark. Okay. But we should yeah. We should check that. Okay. I I wanna get into that on another episode, both of those things, and I think that they could both be on the same episode. But we don't have time for that right now. Um so is this pump the future? Does what this pump symbolizes, is that the future of where our technology is going for diabetes? I want to answer that question with a yes, but. Uh, yes, but if you look into the initiation of the beta bionics pump, their initial premise, and I think you were familiar, was to create a dual chamber pump. So not just insulin, but glucagon. And the reason, and just to explain to your listenership if they're not sure what glucagon is, if you think of insulin very simply as a gas pedal, 
it's driving blood sugars down. It's taking all, it's activating the cells to allow it to uptake the glucose, so therefore removing glucose from the bloodstream. But what's the converse of that? What's the brake pedal? And right now our brake pedal is to go into the kitchen and eat all the things, right? But instead of doing that, we can use glucagon, which is a an, another hormone that our pancreas produces. We in type 1 have uh, usually an impaired glucagon response. And we're all familiar with what glucagon is. If we're old school diabetics, remember that red kit with this big, big needle. And now the newer stuff like Baximi, which is the inhalable kind, or Gvoke, which is the sub-Q injection kind. Um, these are uh, emergency rescue medications that are only used for when you can't take PO, or when you can't take oral glucose if you're so low and you can't, you can't absorb the glucose. But what if you gave it in micro doses to counterbalance the effects of low blood sugar or too much insulin? Then you're really fine tuning and you're getting more toward what I would call a physiologic cure. You're getting to a point where your body, when you and I, before we had diabetes, our pancreas was doing all this on its own without us even knowing about it. And now we're, we're kind of trying to regulate our glucose with one arm behind our back with just insulin. So uh, the initial premise for Betabionics was to have this dual chamber pump. They pushed through this one first because uh, the FDA saw, or the, actually they, the, in their initial data, they saw such uh, wonderful um, improvements in time and range just with their insulin algorithm alone. And so they said, let's, let's go for this. And now my understanding is anywhere from like one to five years from now, we're going to see that dual chamber pump. And I think that's going to be game changing. Yeah, it's funny because beta bionics is calling the islet a bionic pancreas which is a little odd to me because I know that the bionic pancreas that they wanted to make was the device you're talking about right now. So, and it, this isn't a bionic pancreas, essentially. It's it, especially not their vision. I know they're trying to use this terminology. It's, it looks good, you know, it's PR, but um, would you call this pump a bionic pancreas? No, I mean, it, it's, it's a very well-made aggressive algorithm to pump that's not that dissimilar from the other pumps in the market other than I would say it has uh, alleviated that cognitive load of carb counting. It has simplified the idea of insulin to carb ratios, sensitivity factors, and basal rates in a very smart way. Uh, but it's certainly, I would not say, is a bionic pancreas just yet. And I do think that they're on the cusp of getting there. Who is this pump for? I, I see two populations of patients that could utilize this pump, and I've already started to prescribe it. I'd say one is the type 1 diabetic who is over it, who is just cognitively run down with all of that that is diabetes, and there's no shame in that. This is a very common and unfortunate experience that all of us will face at some point during our diabetic lives. Some people face it so much so that they might not take as good care of themselves as they could, and if that's the case, then this is a great pump for them people that are forgetting to take their boluses, people that um, are just not great carb counters, which honestly is all of us. Carb counting is very difficult. People that have um, a difficulty with the idea of, you know, really kind of honing in and, and uh, that don't want to be fine tuning and making all these adjustments all the time. It has this set it and forget it kind of idea. Um, so I think, you know, to, to that population, that's, that's key. And then there's the other population that is really... Um, not great about bolusing. So, you know, if you think about it, if you forget a bolus or you miss bolus, this aggressive algorithm is going to see that you're running high and it's going to correct you every five minutes till it gets you back in range. So that time you spent two, 300 is going to be so minimal versus if you forget a bolus now, you know, you're going to be running high for hours and you're going to be playing catch up and you're going to get on that diabetes roller coaster. So it kind of alleviates that. Now, the inventor would say this to them, 
the population that's already very tightly controlled that really needs that that fine tuning and really needs to be involved at like a granular level they might not like this pump and they're probably if their time and range is 70 80 90 percent they're probably going to be around the same if not a little bit worse so then maybe not be for them at this point yeah it's i don't think i mean as much as i want to try it just to understand it better and be able to talk to people about it as a user um, I don't feel any interest to really switch to something like that, but I do see the appeal for a lot of other people. I love my DIY loop, and I kind of want to get back to something you said earlier, which is you said that you've worked, you've used all the pumps out there, but have you tried DIY loop? And if not, why? Why not? I, I have not, um, and I'm, I'm I'm considering open open to try. I think I'm, I'll be honest with you. I think when I went into medicine, um, you know, so the so at the time, especially, I think that's been changed more recently. But at the time, um, you know, the FDA had not approved these DIY loops. I have patients on them. I, I have no issues with patients who use them, and I think that there's a lot of good data that's come out now that how beneficial they are. But you know, in trying to stay consistent with uh, regulatory bodies that be that govern, you know, my profession, I wanted to be careful. I also know that it was difficult to kind of, in some cases, get the right pumps. That's changed also since. But you had to have like a, a jailbreak, like old school Medtronic pump, and all that stuff. So just the logistics of getting all that, it's like I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be bothered. But um, I absolutely, I'm absolutely all for it. You know, I have a lot of patients that are really well controlled on it. Um, it, it a lot of endocrinologists have a hard time. And I, I'm, I'll be honest. In some cases, I'm a little bit upset with. It's hard for us to see their data as on your data as, as easily. I think that's changing, but in terms of like platforms where there's a, a, a portal for a clinician to kind of log into, it's difficult sometimes um, as opposed to like a clarity or whatever they're on. Not a clarity, I guess you could see your clarity, but it would be it'd be seeing like insulin dosing with your clarity. I think it's harder for us to see. But I think to that note, um, Tidepool is a great option. It will take in all of the data. Uh, CGM and insulin dosage. And then there's Night Scout, which is like this conduit that can really bring your data to anything. So there, there is a lot, of th- a lot out there that can be used for uh, endos and educators to look at. My educator, even sometimes I'll text her, I'll be like, how am I doing? And she'll be like, I'm going on your tide pool now. And, um, and then she's like, oh, you're an A plus student. I'm like, okay, great. Cause I, I had a really bad day the other day and I needed to hear that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love to hear your thoughts trying that out just to, um, you know, especially as someone who really has used the whole gamut, um, and seeing kind of your thoughts on it. And also I just want to get your thoughts on, cause you've been around this industry for a while being diagnosed so young. What are your thoughts on the DIY community? Like what have you witnessed and, um, what do you think of that whole community? I love them. I mean, I, I see them as, you know, leading the charge. So type one overall, if you look at kind of disease prevalence, it, is, it makes a pretty small proportion. Unfortunately, it's actually gone up in incidence, but it's a pretty small proportion. And as such, you know, when, when we live in such a capitalist society, if there's not a large enough proportion to make money, then like the big interests of pharmaceutical companies and, and um, other things, it's, it's less there. So, you know, I love the mentality of grassroots, like, I'm a coder. I'm a diabetic. My kid's a diabetic. Like, let's um, let's get this, you know, open source stuff and and start making some changes. You know, I think it, it, in some cases there there could be some dangers to it as well, um, and that's where you know finding that balance is key. And I actually think the DIY community did a really good job in doing that. I, I think 
Um, a lot of the, like, I think the, the main kind of thought leaders in that space are uh, very educated. A lot of them, I think, came from, you know, diabetic, you know, tech industries and so on. And so I think there's something to be said about that. I always worry because as a physician, I also worry about, you know, liability and I worry about hypoglycemia and I worry about other things that, you know, the FDA is just one regulatory body and, you know, they obviously are not, uh, you know, their interests are also kind of politi politicized and so on. But, you know, there there's something to be said when if I prescribe something and it's FDA approved, then there is a sense of liability that is, is you know, I'm not as vulnerable. Um, and so I think a lot of clinicians are fearful, really. And I think it's not a matter of they don't trust the technology, they don't trust the patient. It's more an issue of they don't want to do anything that could put them in a kind of legally uh, vulnerable place. And I think that's usually what it boils down to. Yeah, and that totally makes sense. And even in my case, when um, I was told about this system, but there was never someone in the industry in your field that was like, you should do this, or we want to put you on the system. It was this system exists. If you choose to do it yourself, we have no option but to help guide you because we need to care for you. But we are not advising you to do this. It's, we're not liable for this. And everything with DIY Loop, the website, it's all like do this at your own risk because no one wants to be liable. And they are a group of very smart people and they are not playing games like they are very serious about this stuff for for the stuff that you just said. It's like this isn't this isn't a game. This is a treatment. It's you know, it needs to be taken very seriously. I want to end with this question. Besides a cure, which we all want, what would be the technology that you want to see most uh, to treat those with diabetes? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think in our lifetime, we're going to see a mechanical cure before we're going to see a stem cell based cure, which I actually do believe will come. I just don't know when, but I, I think we're, we've made massive strides in terms of stem cells and, and, and so on. But a mechanical cure to me, one step beyond what the next beta bionic gen generation is going to be. So it's going to be that dual chamber. So we're going to have, you know, um, that, that brake pedal in glucagon. But we also can get better in our tech in that if we could find a way to do some more implantable devices, um, the, the exchanging and the changing out of the tubing and so on, that's a difficult hurdle to overcome because your body sees foreign, you know, this foreign material and it starts an immune response that creates all this granular, granulation tissue and fibrosis and, and it makes it impossible to keep something in your skin for that long of a time. If we can overcome that hurdle and we can have a nice, we, we, you know, we have, we have the, uh, the CG, the implantable CGM already, but maybe there's, there's a better version of that that can talk to a pump that's also implanted and then you basically have a mechanical cure. I do think that that's on the horizon. I think that's going to be what we'll see in our lifetime. I'm hopeful that we'll see an actual kind of therapeutic beta, um, uh, stem cell based cure. I do think it's going to happen. I just don't know when. Yeah, I mean, for the last, what, 30 years, they've been like t five to 10 years until there's a cure and still no cure because there's really no money in a cure. But there's a lot of money to be made with technology, uh, which is sad and exciting at the, <laughs> the same time. It's why I have a job. But so, like you said earlier, like if you could be put out of business, how great would that be? And the same for me. Um, I had that thought once. I was like, you know, if there's a cure, like, what am I going to do with my life? And I was like, you know, if I'm having this thought, you know, Big Pharma is definitely having that thought because there's <laughs> a lot more money to be made there. So, um, you know, Till then, I'll be here talking about diabetes tech and you'll be advising on it. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was awesome. I'm glad that everyone could hear about more about beta bionics from like a user. Um, and I would also, it would be so cool to have someone on this show that 
is someone like you explained, someone who really just like doesn't care, doesn't want to put much work into it and kind of understanding like a before and after. Um, so that that's kind of my next hope for, for beta bionics coverage would be to talk to someone like that. So uh, yeah, but thank you so much for coming on. This is amazing. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about the Islet, I have a demo video on my YouTube channel as well as a podcast episode where I interviewed the CEO of Beta Bionics and we get into a ton about the pump and also the future of it. So you've got to check that out. That aired back in June and you can find it on YouTube or all podcast platforms. I've got videos releasing every Friday on YouTube and my podcast releases every Monday on YouTube and all podcast platforms. So be sure to follow. And I've got links to my YouTube channel and my social media pages in today's show notes. I'm Justin and I'll see you next week.